You know what I hate, Johnny Neal? I can take a guess. I hate technology. I hate technology. And I realize the irony of that statement, considering it's about to start this episode of Digital Noise. Everybody hates technology somewhat, so right, yeah. I bet we got a lot of sympathizers for what you're about to tell. What I'm about to tell you, listener of Digital Noise, uh, loyal listener, I am sorry to do this. This is going to be a very quick show because Johnny Neal just spent Johnny Neal and I just spent the last hour and a half recording a full episode all the way to conclusion as we normally do, and fucking GarageBand decided to eat it as soon as I got done. As soon as we were done, it was all there, and then it was just gone. So rather than deprive you of, an, of a show this week, we're going to go ahead and run through our titles, but we're going to do it in lightning round style. The saddest thing is that that was probably our best show. It was a really good show, and I just it, it irritates me to no end. So I hope that I hope I can remain even keeled here as we go through these titles. And guys, I'm really sorry this is going to be a short show. Uh, remember to follow us on Twitter at DigiNoiseCast at One of Us Net. Uh, we are brought to you by Audible. Please go to Audible uh, Audible.com slash One of Us Net. Uh, get yourself a, a free trial. We also have a banner you can click to get there. Use our Amazon links for everything you buy, whether it's this item or not. It really helps us out. We appreciate it. That's all the housekeeping stuff I'm going to do. We're going to dive right in this week with a Back to the Future collection. Uh, I believe it's called the Full Ad- Adventure Edition. And this now, again, you might already own the Back to the Future uh, trilogy on Blu-ray. And um, if you do... There's not a lot to this one that I think is different. I don't remember. Uh, let me take a look here at the one I have, which is the 25th anniversary edition. Um, okay, this does not have the Back to the Future cartoon, um, which the release we're talking about this week is Back to the Future, The Complete Adventures, which does include um, the cartoon, uh, the animated series Back to the Future, as well as uh, has a far better disc system as far as the storage of them in the box, then that 25th anniversary edition, which is one of the worst packaging snafus I have ever seen in Blu-ray. It doesn't have any spindles. No spindles. No spindles. They 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 spared all the spindles. They they, they did not give them to us. They they put in a hoverboard. Yeah. Self lacing Nikes. But no spindles. Pepsi's that cost two hundred dollars a bottle. Yeah. And no spindles. No spindles. So this has the animated the Back to the Future Complete Adventures has the animated series and also has a much, much better system for storing the actual discs so you don't feel like you're going to rip them in half every single time that you try and take it out of the box. Moving on from there, and again I know this You know what Doc Brown said? What's that? It was a bad idea, but he said, where we're going, we don't need spindles. We don't need spindles. <laughs> and he was wrong. That's Yeah, no, it's very He's true. He's crazy. Very, very true. I well, bet it, Matt Frewer did his voice in the cartoon. <laughs> he always has to do the cartoon voice. Of, I guess it's possible. Of other people. Uh, we're going to move on from there to uh, a movie that is hitting Blu-ray for the first time, a 2002 crime drama called Dark Blue, starring Kurt Russell as Vic Mackey, essentially. As as Troy McClure. Hi, I'm Troy McClure. You may remember me from The Computer Who Wore Tennis Shoes, The Jungle Boy from Gilligan's Island, and Dark Blue. And maybe some John Carpenter films <laughs> thrown the in there, thing. perhaps. Perhaps uh, This is a film in which Kurt Russell plays a corrupt cop who is so corrupt that there is literally a rapper named Corrupt who plays a character in this film who's not as corrupt as Kurt Russell is corrupt. 
Um, and however, Kurt Russell is not as corrupt as other cops on the force. And he's a good kind of corrupt because he, he gets the job done. He he's a no nonsense, get the job done guy. But he's a character who, as Johnny Neal, what, what did you say? He's barely living with himself. He's just so self loathing. Yeah. He rationalizes to to his young partner Scott Speedman, and of course they're playing clothes, and uh, he's just rationalizing that this is the way it's got to be. Los Angeles is a, is still the Wild West. Yeah. You got to do what you got to do. So. He's he's not so much corrupt like kickbacks and stuff as he is cover your own ass. Right. Uh kill a guy if you have to and plant a gun on him. Yeah. Um he's judge, jury, and executioner type cop. And what I what I really like about this movie, uh first of all, the story was written by James Elroy. That's right. Who as Johnny Neal, how did you describe James Elroy? Well, James Elroy is the demon dog from hell uh, as far as cops. You know, James Elroy has a, a very realistic view of the cops, which is, yeah, cops are corrupt. Cops are crooked. Cops are very fallible human beings. Yeah. But we're better off with them than without them. True. And so, you know, you can see L.A. Confidential. You can go, oh, yeah, Kevin Spacey's very corrupt and crooked and all that. But you fucking weep when he gets shot you know right. it's like uh that's that's james elroy's take on the police and then on top of that you have the screenplay written by david Ayer, who and, and by the way the cops in la love james elroy they really love him wow. you would think because he gives them a voice even if he gives them the words <laughs> that their voice say yeah you know he he doesn't uh I, they just love him i know that much i'm a big elroy fan so that's awesome yeah well, and I think what really aids the tension of this movie. Um, so, what happens in the film is that Kurt Russell and his partner, played by Scott Speedman, um, you know, they have just kind of skirted an issue where Speedman shot a, a perpetrator, and there's they're being dogged at every turn by Ving Rhames, who plays the chief of police, who's just not willing to buy Kurt Russell's bullshit. He knows Kurt Russell is corrupt. He is super straight arrow, and he's and he's out to get him. He's out to to bring him down. And in the meantime, Kurt Russell and Scott Speedman are, are investigating this robbery. And how that kind of ties into Kurt Russell's immediate superior, played by Brendan Gleeson. Um, but anyway, all of this is kind of underscored by the days leading up to the Rodney King verdict. The opening shot of the movie is the Rodney King beating on TV. Yes. And everybody's watching it on TV saying, oh, shit. If, yeah. <laughs> if those cops walk, this city's going to burn. Yeah. So there's a lot of that. And I think the, the movie takes some really interesting twists and turns. It has this kind of simmering tension throughout the whole thing. Um, it, it's it's a little rough around the edges in the way that it's shot, uh, but it's it's a very compelling movie, wonderfully acted. This is the first time it's been on Blu-ray, courtesy of Olive Films, and actually has two special features, despite the fact that it's an Olive Films release, and we don't typically get special features no, from it. not at all. Uh, and Kurt Russell, you know, he's a man of few words for yeah. as good of an actor and as big of a career as he's had. Yeah. He has a monologue soliloquy at the end of this movie that shifts gears about three times that kind of makes you go wow he's really so much better than he's given credit for he's phenomenal yeah he really is something he's he's uh god he's been around like 50 years of acting 
So it was in a Gilligan's Island episode. That's I believe you. I believe you. Now moving on to a film Johnny Neal saw that I did not is a film called Bloody Knuckles. Tell us a little bit about Bloody Knuckles, Johnny. Well, Brian, you ever uh, like write a comic book or do something really that you're real proud of and you and you want to be congratulated for how brilliant you are? Yes, all the time. Yeah, right. Yeah. And uh, you take it to somebody and you you, you go, uh, you know, you, you give me your feedback and they read it and then they or they look at it or whatever they feel it they. <laughs> hang it on their wall whatever they do and uh the only feedback they can give you is uh you did all this well that's neat oh wow <laughs> that's pretty much all i can say wow. about this movie it's uh kind of got a kind of a tired uh it's very cheap it's canadian punk do it yourself i congratulate anybody that can do a completely independent punk movie but there's not enough punk to it like uh the guy's an independent comic book artist he pisses off a japanese businessman the japanese businessman sends his thugs out to chop off his hand he pisses him off in comic form chops off his hand his hand comes to life starts killing people uh there's a lot of violence just for the sake of violence uh, people just getting killed left and right and nobody really feeling bad about it. You know, yeah. uh, the acting is horrible, uh, but they did it. So that's neat. <laughs> and it also, the plot seems like a bad rehash of, uh, idle hands, which, well, they're telling him what a genius underground comic book artist he is mm -hmm. and his comics look terrible and all they are, they, they end up being about six panels where in the final panel, somebody is getting butt fucked. <laughs> And that is the limit of his political observation and sense of punishment. God damn it, Canada. Uh, exactly. <laughs> I blame Canada. As well, you probably should. Well, moving on to Canada, from Canada to America. America. Let's talk about the film I was dreading watching the most this week, and that is the 2015 family drama Max. Now, the Canadian version is called Malamute. It, it's just called <laughs> Sorry. Um, so you guys probably know this about me if you've listened to me for any period of time is that I hate it when dogs die in movies. It's my biggest pet peeve. <laughs> pet peeve. Um, I just, usually I don't like just it. so manipulative of a thing to do. And that's exactly what this movie is from start to finish is a giant manipulation. Um, the best part of the movie is the dog himself. It's one of those movies. I could tell you from the commercials cause I didn't watch this when I didn't have time. It's one of those movies that if you say you didn't like it, 90% of the people the that win. did like it will say the terrorists won. Why don't you love America? Right. You know, that dog, look what that dog did for you. Well, it's it's based on this story that absolutely just tore out my heart when it was circulating the internet about a Marine. Uh, first of all, they use canines uh, in, they have a canine like squad of Marines um, and their handlers. And one such handler was, was killed in the line of duty and his dog shows up at the funeral and just lays next to the casket and refuses to leave. And it's the sweetest, most heartbreaking. Like it, I bawled until my eyes were sore. And sure enough, they replicate that scene in this movie. And I, I will tell you straight up that I cried remembering that and how sad it is. But the movie is very manipulative. And the rest of the film is this sort of thrown together Hallmark Channel, like predictable. Who rescued who? Yeah, exactly. It's <laughs> my God. Like every cliche you can think of is here. And. I mean, it's the little brother of that Marine who's forced to raise this dog he doesn't like. Who and talks shit to his brother before he left. Talks shit to his brother before he left. And it's just like, and I'm just waiting the whole time for the dog Which to be. Which is probably why the brother got killed. Because he, he was probably. thinking about his little brother being mean to him. But it's just, you know, so much of this movie is just like paint by numbers, 
absolute like cliche filmmaking 101. The parents are played by Thomas Hayden Church and Lauren Graham, uh, which is kind of the only bit of star power the movie has, and it just feels so manipulative. And and I just I, I don't know. I I was very unhappy with. They get to the end and they're like, this is dedicated to all the dogs who have perished in the line of duty. I'm like, if you really want to honor them, maybe stop making dogs go into combat because... And, and you know, dogs can't read movie credits. And that's true as well. That's <laughs> they, true as well. They don't watch movies. Maybe with the Chuck Wagon commercial, they yeah. used to get excited. Well, from Man's Best Friend to, to Mandingo, this is a classic bit of uh, black exploitation, or just exploitation it's just in general. Trash. Let's just, just trash. Let's just call it trash exploitation. Uh, that Olive Films has released on Blu-ray, and um, yeah, this movie's real bad. Just this poorly is a movie made, that is grimy, legendary. Legendary. It is but legendary bad. from the seventies, and I was expecting it to be like either real sexy or real <laughs> violent or i was like i'm finally gonna get to watch this movie because i could never like bring myself to rent it you know right right and i'm like i'm finally gonna get to see this movie and good lord was it boring and 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 pointless and like doesn't really ever have a point of view and has has the few stars that are in it are completely wasted and it doesn't really say anything, you know, like yeah. as much as you might think it does, the guy who should just be the, the, um, oh, the 12 years of slave guy, uh, you read a legio for no, the, oh. the white guy, uh, Oh, uh, Fossbender. Fossbender. I can yeah. never remember his fucking complicated name. Fossbender. The Fossbender ish character is supposed Played to by be Perry King. Perry King is supposed to be a kind of a good guy because he doesn't like beating the slaves. But he but likes fucking anyway. them a lot. But he sure loves fucking them. He loves basically raping them a lot. And then uh and what does he call it? Uh because uh white women white women don't like being pestered. <laughs> and, they're, and they're embarrassed when a man takes off all of his clothes. According to James Mason, his alcoholic father who is now, just it's just so sad to see james mason in this movie it is because this this story is about a uh like a slave owning plantation a family of slave owners in the 1840s in alabama the patriarch of which being james mason who has stated that he only did this movie because he had alimony payments that were due <laughs> so james mason's ex-wife is the reason that he's in this movie oh. directed inexplicably by Richard Fleischer. Richard Fleischer responsible for some classic films like Tora, 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 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, um, Dr. Doolittle, Soylent Green, and Mandingo as well. Just a very bizarre... I mean, he did, you know, like... But then, like, later on in his career, he did movies like Amityville 3D, Red Sonja. He's a director for hire. He's a director for hire. He doesn't really have a voice. He just is a studio connected guy. Uh, there's one bit of political black power type statement is delivered by G2 Kumbuka, who's still around by the way, oh, wow. uh, still acting and has a production company. Um, he gives one, just one very powerful. He's a really good actor. Uh, he gives one really powerful, on the gallows speech yeah. about how fucked up slavery is sure. and how uh, the slaves that buy into it are even more fucked up than the white people sure. who are, are, are their slave masters um, and that they're all going to be damned for hanging him. It, it's a really powerful, the only powerful couple of minutes in the whole movie. Uh, the rest of it is just 
sweaty and fake feeling and boring. Uh, and it's based on a play and a series of books. I didn't and know I that. can't imagine what the play, if the play was, because this was the seventies with, you know, experimental theater and stuff. I can't, can't help but imagine the play was probably a lot more black power kind of yeah. something, but this is just trash. Well, it's it, just fucking trash. And that moment you're talking about, I feel like the, this movie needed a lot more moments like that to justify how salacious and exploitative the other material is. Because when you, like, Fleischer says that the only reason he finally agreed to direct this for Dino De Laurentiis is that he wanted to do it his way and go at it very, very, with a straight face and, and, and deliver the truth. And I'm like, no. And even the tagline of the movie is expect the savage, the sensual, the shocking, the sad, the powerful, the shameful, expect the truth, which makes this movie sound like some sort of indictment, some sort of important social message. And it's like, this is just exploitation. This is trash. And it's not even made that well. It's, it's not made well it's at all. Dull. It doesn't have any real logic to it because no. like the, the, the slaves are never working. You know, no, at least at in 12 years a slave, you got to see how fucking brutal the work itself was on the slaves. Yeah. Not just the fact that they were slaves and owned and property, but that they worked their asses off and then got abused when they got back. Right. Uh, and this, for the most part, they're just hanging out. They're just hanging out on the porch or they're cooking or doing laundry. Sort of, it's a very unfortunate choice of words considering the lynching we just described. Well, but. there is that. There and and the white people are just so ignorant. Like yeah. James Mason has uh rheumatism and his doctor tells him that if he puts his feet on the belly of a black kid, that his rheumatism will be absorbed by yeah. the black kid. So through the whole movie, the very disturbing image of old ass barefoot James Mason <laughs> in a wicker rocking chair yeah. with his feet on a just a delightfully cute little black kid yeah. is just so fucked up. Yes. Every every time they would cut to it, and all I could think is James Mason going, What the fuck happened to me? Yeah. You know, I was in Lolita. You know, what the <laughs> fuck? <laughs> Well, that is, unfortunately, Mandingo. And if you're a big fan of Django Unchained, one thing I will say is if you pick up this Blu-ray, you will see where Tarantino stole a lot for Django Unchained from Mandingo. But uh, a film I didn't get a chance to see that Johnny Neal did, if you want to talk a little bit about The End. The End is Burt Reynolds. Uh, kind of, it was kind of the end of his his uh, career. Now, he, he made a couple of other good movies after this, but this is a comedy about a guy who finds out he's dying and then he, who is Burt Reynolds. And then he wants to kill himself, but, uh, doesn't really have the guts to do it himself. It's got a lot of good people listed in it. Joanne Woodward, Christy McNichol, Norman fell. They actually don't sound that good. Once I say them out loud, <laughs> but <laughs> Dom DeLuise. Um, but, uh, it pretty much sucks. It's it's not funny. It's very dated. Mm -hmm. uh, Burt Reynolds says a lot of really racist stuff just to say it. You know, <laughs> just like because he can get away with like, saying it. Ah, the goddamn Japs. Like a Honda drives by and he's like, ah, get that Jap car out of my way and just shit like that. Like just real casual, you know, uh, last generation's father type racism. Yeah, like Archie Bunker type stuff where. 
He's not even doing it to be mean. That's just how he talks. But there is one scene in it that is pretty funny. Oh, yeah, Sally Field's in it, too. And uh, I missed my window of her being appropriately hot. <laughs> I didn't realize when I was younger how hot she was. Right. And now I'm watching this where she's like half the age I am now. And I'm going, is she just hot because she's half my age? Or is she hot because she's Sally Field and she's half my age? Ooh, interesting. And I'm going to give a little bit of one and half of the other but there's a scene with robbie benson and if you don't remember robbie benson the most recent thing he did of any real acclaim was he was the voice of the beast he made a, quite a few movies in the 70s and 80s he was an ode to billy joe fast break um harry and son with paul newman he was like the cover of 16 magazine and uh, Tiger Beat. He was a heartthrob. He was a beautiful young man, heartthrob like Sean Cassidy and those other guys at that time. Uh, but he was a genuine actor. You right. know, he was not Hollywood royalty like Sean Cassidy was. He was a really good actor. Uh, I think he does production now. He played, Burt Reynolds goes into a church because he want you know because that's what happens when you're dying he sure. goes into a church and there's a guy in a black shirt and he says do you know where the priest is so he turns around and it's robbie benson looking about 16 years old i mean he's probably 18 but he's so young mm -hmm. uh and and dewy-eyed and and handsome and uh, and he's got a kind of a soft kind of a california stoner voice and he says well you're pretty young to be a priest and he goes i got the calling young you know like he's just really young and naive and he goes uh i i want to give a confession but you're kind of young to hear it and he's like well, you know, let's try anyway. So I go into the confession booth and this is a visual joke, but it's, 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 it's almost worth watching the movie just for this one scene. Burt Reynolds is telling his confession of how many hundreds of women. And because Burt Reynolds, you know, directed this, of course, it was hundreds of women. hundreds. It's how many hundreds of women he slept with and all the times he cheated on his wife. And Robbie Benson is on the other side of the screen and he pulls the little plastic priest thing now if you know jeff from rage select he uh came to our um at, at the halloween party last year jeff wore he went and bought a genuine priest outfit and i said what is the collar made out of i always wondered that right was it marzipan it was not marzipan <laughs> that's unfortunate that would have been less surprising <laughs> it was just plastic it was a little rectangle of plastic really so he pulled that thing out, and Robbie and I'm like, oh, that's just plastic? And he goes, yeah, I was surprised too. So Robbie Benson pulls this plastic thing out of his collar while Burt Reynolds is rambling on and on about his conquests, and Robbie Benson starts flicking his teeth with it. Like, is he bored that Burt Reynolds is bragging on himself, or is he turned on that Burt Reynolds has all these sex stories. <laughs> it was just really funny. It's just black, black. And, and Burt Reynolds is on the other side of the screen like, what is that sound? What is that sound? And here's this bored high school kid flicking his teeth with this plastic thing, like a like a card in the spokes of your, of your bicycle. That's the only <laughs> thing that I have to recommend that movie. It really sucked. Well, there you have it. It really sucked. We're gonna I guess I spoiled the only good thing. No, that's, that's all right. Um, speaking, speaking of spoiling good things, uh, I'm going to move on to a documentary uh, that Johnny Neal didn't want to watch because, as he put it, it's none of my business. It's none of my business. <laughs> this is a documentary called GTFO, which, if you are not familiar with internet vernacular, is an acronym for Get the Fuck Out. 
This is a documentary about sexism and women in the world of video games. Obviously a very hot button issue right now because of the, the Gamergate movement. Um, I just want to say this. I am not a gamer. I don't belong to this world. Uh, but I think no matter your gender, no matter what you're passionate about, I think we can all we can all adhere to the maxim, don't be a dick. There's no reason for it. You're negative. Don't be negative. And don't allow anonymity to give you a forum to be someone online that you're not in real life. Don't be a coward. Don't be a coward. Yes. And I feel like... This documentary, which was crowdsourced, it was funded by Kickstarter and stars a lot of the sort of central targets of the Gamergate movement. People like Anita Sarkeesian, um, Lee Alexander, people, uh, a lot of women in the gamer community, whether they're game developers, whether they're game critics, whatever the case may be. And what I what I appreciated the most about this documentary is this is not a documentary on the offensive as it has every right to be. It, But it's not that. What this is, is this is a documentary that is a call to reason just saying you know this is the situation as it is right now you know we all love gaming i wish that you know it wasn't like this and it also makes the point as i think i should as well that the trolls of gamergate are a very loud but definite minority like they're a loud minority but they are definitely the minority this is not an indictment of all males who play video games okay doesn't it seem like it's always the way there's just always got to be those assholes the few bad apples i mean that everything. that expression's been around forever for a reason yeah um and i think that's what i appreciated the most about this is that this is a documentary that has every right to be furious i mean the way that women have been treated by this group by this minority of trolls is deplorable like some of the things that are said if a woman writes an article has the audacity to write an article about how there need to be more strong female characters in games death threats and you know this is why you should be raped and all this just like incendiary things just like horrid things and so i i I understand and this documentary really does hit upon the fact that the situation is very untenable right now is a deplorable situation but at the same time, seems to seek common ground, seems to say, like, there is room for all of us here. It doesn't have to be like this. Let's just, you know, get out there and do what we need to do to just just realize that everybody, can, there's room for everybody. And I feel like even though I'm not a gamer, I, too, have something that was created by other people that defines a big part of who I am. I, too, am very passionate about... Um, the medium I'm, I'm it's film for me the way it is games for these people like that that is a big part of who i am but the idea that i would become incensed to the point of attack because someone who is not exactly like me wants to also like the thing that i like is absurd to me and that's what i've never liked never understood about gamergate is why can't it be why can't you include people instead of treating this thing that in a I understand. This is a, this is a, a video games are something for you that is a place of comfort, is a place of belonging. I get that. I mean, film for me was the huge part of why I know everybody I know. It definitely created a a community for me. But that doesn't mean that everyone who's not exactly like me who wants to be a part of that community is the enemy. You, well, I don't even see what the conflict is exactly because it's you're it's playing a game. It's everything that you want is still there. Right. No one is taking anything from you. And that is my big problem with the trolls of Gamergate is nobody is actually actively trying to take things from you. You're not under attack. You are as a as like as a male gamer, a male white gamer in your 20s, you're the majority, okay? Nobody is attacking you. Now you take that majority and from that majority you you craft a minority of people 
who feel like they're under attack and they are the most vocal, most hateful, most spiteful, just awful people. And I like this documentary because even though it is rough around the edges, like I said, it was crowdsourced, the production has, it leaves a lot to be desired, but the points that it makes are are even keeled and they are completely reasonable and I think it's, it's very eye-opening. So highly recommend it. That's what I'm going to say. From there, we're going to move on to our Criterion release of the week, which, uh, Johnny, I have a question for you. Do you practice psychoplasmics? All the time. I'm glad that you do because psychoplasmics isn't just the core concept of the movie The Brood. It is the underlying definition for what body horror is. It is it is the summation of what makes David Cronenberg or what identifies David Cronenberg as a horror filmmaker. Let me let me break this down for you. Psychoplasmics is a um, it's a psychotherapy in which patients with mental disturbances are urged to let go of their suppressed emotions through physiological changes to their bodies. If that doesn't tell you everything you need to know about body horror, I don't know what will. <laughs> it's perfect. It's, it also is pretty much like on David Cronenberg's business card. Oh, I, I think so. <laughs> David Cronenberg, practitioner uh, of plasmatics. Practitioner of plas- or I'm sorry, plasmatic. psycho psychoplasmics, <laughs> plasmatic, psychoplasmics. Big fan of Wendy O. Williams. Yes, psychoplasmics. Was. Uh, psychoplasmics is uh, microcosmic of David Cronenberg himself, and the Brood. The Brood is a movie about this this therapist played by. Everybody's favorite guy to tell all their problems to, <laughs> the one and only Oliver Reed. Oliver Reed. The guy that is so fucking scary to look at. If yes. I walked in to meet him as a psychiatrist, and believe me, I've walked into a few psychiatrist's offices, I would say, yeah, I don't I don't think my insurance covers you, and I would run out of there as fast as I could. Yeah. He has scared the shit out of me since I was a kid, and in the movie Oliver, when he got killed at the end of Oliver and was swinging over the yeah. street, that was the bummer ending of a musical that I've never seen anything quite like it. And his reviews are terrible. Oh, wait, no, that's Rex Reed. Sorry. <laughs> anyway, so what happens is that this psychotherapist played by Oliver Reed uh, one of his patients is a woman who is disturbed, but she's also in a custody battle with her uh, husband over their five-year-old daughter. And then what starts happening is all of these people kind of around this case, around this therapist, around this patient, around this case, start being murdered by tiny dwarf monster children. They start to look like children, and then they look kind of like dwarves, and then... When one of them gets killed... They do an autopsy, and it's like, this is not human. What the fuck is this thing? (laughs) And it's really eerie. Like, it's really unsettling to see these things because they're making these, like, guttural noises as they beat people to death with tiny hammers. It's just like... And they're short. They're really short. But they, you know, they spring onto you. And, I mean, it's unnerving even knowing that it's a movie to know that they had to make all these kids do this shit. You know, like... Everything about it. Like, David Cronenberg movies are bigger than the celluloid that they're on. You know, like the act of making a David Cronenberg movie has to be traumatic for everybody involved. Yeah. And and the thing about this... That's fucking movie making. Absolutely. And this movie is grisly. I mean, as much as David Cronenberg has never shied away from the viscera, this is one of his more grisly titles. Like, when I pick up this Blu-ray from Criterion, my only disappointment is that it's not sticky. 
I feel like this Blu-ray should be sticky. You should touch it and go, oh, what is all over me? Because that is how this movie feels. Like you couldn't be able to put it down? Like yes. It's, like, stuck, oh, it's like, stuck to me. It's become part of my being. You're afraid to open it? It like is. Something will just... Oh my God! This Blu-ray is the new flesh. It That's is what the it new is. Flesh. This is. Oh I mean, God. this Ryan, show is Ryan, my video drum. There's a cavity opening up in your stuff. Don't worry about that. Don't worry about that. Let me just cover that up. This show, by the way, is my new flesh. This is my video drum. I just realized. Um, but yeah, what I what I like most about this movie is when you get to the end and you figure out what's going on. I think this film is as much a effective metaphor for the fear of motherhood as something like aliens is i am going to counterpoint that Ooh, and say, counter. i think it's about the fear of fatherhood because huh. the mother has no problem with being a mother i guess that's true no I, I guess from her standpoint yeah no i get that i think i think a, a woman who watches this movie might glean from it the fear of being a mother, even if the. Oh well, yeah, there's that. There's yeah, but that. no, I, but the the, the but father thing is really interesting too. If you already have too. a kid, you're going to sympathize with her. Interesting. That's very now, interesting. Now I think if you are like some woman who doesn't have a kid, you're going to go fuck that, fuck a bunch of that, <laughs> fuck a whole bunch of that. Yeah. Um. But this uh this Blu-ray, by the way, is spectacular. Criterion once again knocks it out of the park. Not only a new 2K digital transfer, which was supervised by Cronenberg. Um, there's a new documentary, not only about the making of the film, but about Cronenberg's early work, which features so many amazing people, including Rick Baker, who did the visual effects for uh, Videodrome. And there's also uh, there's a whole second movie on this fucking Blu-ray. Love that. There is a, a new restored 4K digital transfer of Cronenberg's 1970 feature, Crimes of the Future. So... Now, he did Rabbit, right? He did Rabbit, yes. Okay, and that has Marilyn Chambers in it. It does have Marilyn Chambers. I wonder if Marilyn Chambers is in this, is in Crimes of the Future. We should find out. We should watch it and well, find we out. we should definitely find out. I, I, I just want to say, I didn't used to really like David Cronenberg. Really? I didn't quite get it. You uh -huh. know, it was like, okay, okay, uh, yeah, yeah, whatever. And then, I don't know, at some point as I got older and I watched something, actually, his... It was uh, a history of violence. Oh, uh, yeah. Really kind of made me see his. You ever try to read poetry and you can't quite get it? I'm going to stop then... you. No, I've never tried to read poetry. <laughs> I, do, I well, don't know what that is. Okay. I've tried to read poetry. That's like stories, I, but they rhyme. And right? I can't. Okay. And then I'll hear somebody read it, like uh -huh. the poet himself reading it. And I get it. It's like, I don't know how to read this because it's broken up too weird. But then when I hear the person who wrote it read it the way it's supposed to be, then I'm like, oh, okay, okay. It doesn't make me want to run out and start reading poetry, but at least I can appreciate it for what it is supposed to be. And there was something about seeing uh, a history of violence. It I felt like I hit his wavelength in a more appreciative way, not just in a, wow, Scanners was awesome because it was fucked up, you know? And yeah. It was like, oh, I kind of get where he's coming from. You you start to respect him as an artist and not just a weaver of spectacle. Very, very, very good. I want to play Scrabble with you. <laughs> <laughs> well, I will say the brood is, the Criterion brood is unequivocally, unequivocally, Quivically, quivically, my pick of the week. Absolutely phenomenal release. I'm gonna go with you on that. Awesome. And uh, and I also want to say, uh, as part of my you know fairly recent conversion to the Cronenberg world, is I buy every one of his Criterion movies. Oh, you absolutely should. Pounce, absolutely. Yeah. 
Well, that brings us to the last title of the show, which is also going to be our giveaway. Take it. Take it. And this is Southpaw, directed by Antoine Fuqua. Antoine Fuqua. Fuqua. Which he is, sounds Canadian. Which is French for fuck you, I think. It, I think it is. I yeah. mean, it's fuck you, Rex Reed. <laughs> this is... Uh, this is really fucking with Rex Reed. We, I don't know why. Fuck him. Uh, this is his Rocky, essentially. This is his big, dramatic boxing film. Uh, clearly... It's Rocky Five, I think. Yeah, it, you know what? Structurally, very much Rocky Five. Absolutely. Because <laughs> it's about a boxer named Billy... Hope, which really? I almost turned off the movie as soon as I heard that. I was like, I'm sorry. It was written on his mouth guard. You have a character who becomes an underdog and has to rise up again, and his name is Hope. Fuck you. And he's a boxer, <laughs> so he's the great white Hope. Fuck you. And he's, but he's Million Dollar Jelly. Too e- two million dollar. That's good. <laughs> it's too easy. I'm sorry. That is like naming... That's like writing a story, and you're like, well, because my character is such an everyday man, I'm going to call him Human. Right. Fuck you. That is lazy. Right. Don't it's, do it's, that shit. It's not like Catch Twenty Two having major, major. You know, yeah. it's like wrong. It's this is just lame. What it's interesting about this, we're covering this on the same show as Mandingo because I think Antoine Fuqua might be the Richard Fleischer of today because he does great films like Training Day. Yeah, and then all of a sudden starts doing schlock like left and right. Um, my my thing about him, and yeah. I figured it out while watching this movie because okay. I always want to like what he does. Mm-hmm. And I never ultimately really like it, but I can appreciate it. Okay. And that is, I look at him as a guy who doesn't have a script to work with. He starts with a coloring book. Imagine I'm intrigued. This. this is my metaphor here. Okay. Imagine going along with you. Imagine he takes a coloring book. Okay. Like, and it's called Billy the Boxer. <laughs> and and all of the dialogue is just watch Billy fight. You know that like yeah. how a coloring book is written. And he takes the pages of that coloring book. He tears them all out. And he gives them to a whole bunch of the best artists in the world. And he says, go nuts. You paint this picture as you do whatever you want to do. Just make it beautiful. Interesting. And then he takes all those pages back and he staples them together. And you go, fuck, this is one beautiful image after another. And yet, when I put it at arm's length, it's still just a fucking coloring book. Wow. That's what I think of his movies. He's great with actors. He gets great performances. And I think Jake Gyllenhaal, we're at the point where I don't know what he can do to impress us anymore. He's pretty much proven himself as the best there is Mm -hmm. of of his age anyway. uh, Between Of his weight class, you might say? Hey, he he punches up. I, I really and truly think he's the best actor of his category whatever i just think he's the best I, I really hope you burgeoning film critics were listening as johnny neil weaved that metaphor like that was that was beautiful oh. about the coloring book i really like that 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 is expert level that is you are a heavyweight metaphor weaver <laughs> you you are the champ yeah. you are the champ uh, I, but, uh, my my uh, dental hygienist said i'm a great brusher oh nice yeah nice and, and i have to agree with you i think there's a lot of the, the pieces of this movie work the pieces the jake gyllenhaal performance which it, weirdly though, my, my whole thing. Well, like, why is he talking like he's a white guy who thinks he's black? Like, why is he talking like Eminem throughout the whole movie? He's from an orphanage in Hell's Kitchen. But but why? I, it's just so it's so which, weird. Which doesn't exist, Hell's Kitchen. No, it, it, I guess it doesn't anymore. It's it's, it's called Midtown. Oh, it's and called it's Midtown. It's a very expensive place to live. But but he really Daredevil cleaned it all up. Oh, thank God for that. But he really does talk. Why is he talking like Eminem throughout this whole movie? Uh, because Eminem was the guy they wanted to make the movie for. Are you serious? Yeah. With. 
Really? They scouted out Eminem to be... So the training montage, not the James Horner final act, but the training montage is an Eminem song, remember? Oh, that's right. And it's like, you know, and it, so it's like, I'm huh. Rocky, I'm Rocky, I'm ruining all my Rocky stuff. Like, <laughs> Rocky, Rocky, doing all my Rocky stuff. <laughs> I love that Eminem track. That's pretty much how I it's called doing it. all my Rocky stuff. <laughs> That's pretty much all I can hear. That but. actually makes so much more sense now because that yeah. was very off-putting. Can you imagine was, how shitty this would have been with Eminem in the Yeah, it would probably would have been pretty shitty. I, it I really would have been shitty. But I also really love the relationship between Jake Gyllenhaal and Forrest Whitaker. I think Forrest Whitaker is amazing in this movie. He's always amazing, but he's especially great in this. Yeah. And there's a little... It's like all of the stuff that would have made something interesting is barely mumbled like he goes to find uh forrest whitaker who of course is like training orphans and shit right <laughs> yeah because he loves orphans and he tells him he's like what are you doing here what do you want to come to my gym for and he says uh there was one fight early in his career that he honestly didn't feel like he won yeah he felt like forrest whitaker's fighter one, but that he had been paid off. Ah. And he's like, so what are you saying about me? You know, which is yeah. a pretty big thing to say. You're saying I, you know, took a, took a dive. My guy took a dive. And it's like, they left that alone. They just yeah. completely blew that off after yeah. that. That was a pretty huge thing. Well, and the basic story here is that... Considering that he was 43-0... and 43-0 boxer Billy Hope. Uh, is anybody 43-0? and 0? Starts the movie by defending his title... Uh, one of his titles, and then uh, during the press conference after the fight, which this happens in movies so much, and I don't think it's ever happened in real life, an upstart boxer uh, challenges him and, and basically gives the Clubber Lang speech from fucking Rocky Three, where he's like, you've never been hit by a real man. You don't know what it's like. You ain't, you've ain't. been fighting nothing but chumps. Uh, come on, step in the ring with me. I'll, I'll, I'll show you what a challenger is. And it's like, okay, first of all, shut up. And secondly... <laughs> This doesn't happen in real life. This only ever happens in boxing movies. That starts a rivalry, which leads to his wife, played by Rachel McAdams, who looks super trashy in this movie. Yeah. Like something the Jersey she's, Shore she's, threw up. She's Polly D's. Uh, <laughs> Polly D's. Mom she's Pauline D. <laughs> and so she gets killed, and that immediately takes all of Jake Gyllenhaal's money away. He's been making yeah, millions in of dollars. One scene, she gets killed in the lobby of a giant fundraiser of a luxury hotel in New York City uh, because this this up-and-coming boxer goes to this event to heckle him. Now, I can tell you that tickets to an event like that would have probably set him back $1,000. At least. That was a fundraiser in Manhattan. Yeah. I mean, let's... Be honest. He spent a thousand dollars for him and all of his boys to go heckle. Yeah, it doesn't make yeah, sense. They're not going to let you hang out in the fucking lobby of something yeah. like that. And uh, so he starts talking shit, and then a fight breaks out, and then one of his guys pulls a gun because it, it's that threatening of a. I don't know. I don't know. And Rachel McAdams gets shot, and she dies, and it's a drag. And then you cut to him in the police interrogate uh, Jake in the police interrogation room and the cops go well we don't have a witness so, <laughs> so we're just done with this case we're done with this case i know you're a world famous boxer but uh we don't really investigate world famous boxer crimes you know like i think you have a list of suspects you could work yeah. with yeah and then cut to he goes well i need to go home to my daughter cut to him sitting at the table with 50 cent and uh their accountant and the accountant says, 
You don't have any money. Where did all the money go overnight? (laughs) You don't have any money. It doesn't happen that quickly. And then, of course, he has to return to the old neighborhood. And the only thing you can see that he's been extravagant on, he's got a mansion, but, you know, it's New Jersey. And he, he buys his boys watches. Yeah. And they're like, oh, another one? And I'm like... Yeah, those are probably $20,000 watches, but he just won the title again. That's a few million dollars. Yeah, exactly. Like two weeks before, you know, I, I just. It doesn't make a lot of he sense. He wasn't just the champ in one. Uh, he had several association. belts. Yeah. There yeah. were like every boxing association you could come up with. <sighs> it was like, you gotta be fucking He had more belts me. than Roy Rogers. And yet somehow, somehow he still ran out of money the next day, loses his daughter and then over the top style, the only way he can get his daughter back is to get back in that ring and win another championship. I don't know how that equates. This, the state was very much like, we don't want you to have your daughter because you're very violent. But if you win uh, the championship at a violent sport, we will totally give her back to you. So that was a little, little you, mealy mouthed. Yeah. Yeah. It was pretty mealy mouth. And but the daughter was fantastic. She's that very good. Credit should be given where she's credit is. Very good. Yeah. Uh, it was a movie that would have really been good with the I like ensemble pieces, and there was never an ensemble piece. It was no. always one person and another person. One person and another yeah. person. There was never a, an MVP per scene. It was always just one or the other. Boxing uh, is a solitary really good sport. conversation with Forrest Whitaker. And Oddly enough, when he's talking to Forrest Whitaker, he's not a punch drunk, uh, mealy mouthed dude. He can actually yeah, form sentences. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and in front of all of these guys in tuxedos, he says, "Give him that shit." Yeah, that's talking his. That's his call for donations. Give us that shit. Give us that shit. It's I like, was, oh, that's brilliant. I, my wife's an orphan. I'm an orphan. Give us that. Give shit. us that shit. And I mean, it's beautifully shot. I mean, it has some amazing performances. Every page of the coloring book is beautiful. And it's and you're going to predict exactly what happened. It's <laughs> you not a, it's are. Not a there surprise. are no surprises. But I will say this is the this is unfortunately uh, on a sad note the last film to be scored by James Horner. That's a drag. Um, James Horner actually, in a testament to what a great person James Horner was. Um, if you don't know, by the way, James Horner was killed in a plane crash this year. Very sad. Um, but in a testament to what a great guy he was, Antoine Fuqua did not have the money to pay James Horner. They were working on a limited budget, and James Horner liked the movie, the idea of the movie so much he did it for free. So his last score on this planet, he did for free just because he believed in the movie. And oddly, it doesn't sound anything like a James Horner score. Like there's nothing, like there's nothing that identifies it as a Horner score. I don't even really remember. Oh, there you go. It was kind of generic. All I remember is the Eminem training montage. There you go. Uh, which, by the way, this is our giveaway. Uh, just because we didn't love it doesn't mean you might not. It's worth watching. Will. It's definitely worth watching for it's, sure. It's worth watching just for the the physicality of the performance. It's like uh, I compare it to Million Dollar Baby in that, like Million Dollar Baby was just as dumb of a movie, but you know Hillary Swank was just so fantastic in it. Truth. I mean, if you just want to appreciate just. Again, Jake Gyllenhaal is the best there is. I love actors. Jake Gyllenhaal, you know, this is an actor's movie. It's not a storyteller's movie. Yeah, absolutely. And if you would like to win yourself a Blu-ray DVD combo copy of this movie, you're going to follow us online at or on Twitter at one of us. Net. You're going to tweet at us with the answer to this question. If you could step into the ring with one movie character from all the filmdom, who would it be? Hashtag Southpaw giveaway. We'll pick any our favorite. Any character, a boxer or just anybody? No, any character. Oh, well, Pee Wee Herman. Really? <laughs> so I could beat him. No, I mean, I would know I'd win. I would step in the ring with Mr. Potter from It's a Wonderful Life, and I would beat the <laughs> shit out of that cripple. I just think it'd be funny. He's the only guy in a wheelchair I've ever wanted to fight. 
Yeah, I, Mr. Potter. Yeah, Fucking I can Mr. see Potter. that. Yeah. Well, guys, again, sorry for the, the brevity of this week's show. Listen that, to it twice. Listen to it twice because we have. Uh, God damn it. I hate technology. But Didn't we sound uh, imp- improvised, though? Yeah, yeah, we, we flowed. We did the yes and. We flowed futuristic like Eminem. That's what we do. We That's flowed what we do. like Doc Brown. Yeah. So, again, follow us on Twitter, at one of us net at DigiNoiseCast. Like the website on Facebook, facebook.com slash oneofusnet. You can follow us individually online. I'm at BrightGuySalisbury on Twitter. I'm Brian Salisbury Critic on Facebook. I'm Johnny Neal on Twitter and Johnny Neal on Instagram, which I don't do much there. And I'm just uh, Johnny Michael Neal on Facebook. Uh, facebook awesome guys thank you so much for listening i want to remind you uh, in the show the way i always do or sometimes twice in one night no release is too big no release is too small from criterion to catastrophe we review them all sometimes uh, in pairs (laughs) 